In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. These words of St. Paul, which we heard in our epistle lesson, have a very simple meaning. He's saying that just as one grows up from being a child who knows very little about the world to becoming an adult who knows much more, so also our understanding of God's love in Christ in this earthly life is but a shadow of what we will know when we are glorified in heaven. In other words, just as grown-ups know more than children, so also Christians in heaven who live by sight know more than Christians on earth who live by faith and hope. Paul's analogy is a very simple one. When adulthood comes, childhood passes away. So also, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now our knowledge of God's love is partial. And this is because of the weakness of our flesh. But in heaven it will be perfect. Faith and hope will cease and give way to sight. But love, which we know even now, albeit only in part, Love will endure forever. Consider what we sing in the hymn. Now I may know both joy and woe. Someday I shall see clearly that he hath loved me dearly. That's what this is talking about. When love is perfected and faith and hope pass away. It's hard to see it now. Now we suffer. And in our suffering, we see only dimly, like in a foggy mirror, how much God truly loves us. For now, we wade through the murky cloud of pain and sorrow and doubt, where there are confusing and contradictory signals. God's word says he loves us. Our joys confirm it. And we say, yes, it is clear he does. But then our woes seem to contradict it, especially when we are alone. And we think, no, it doesn't look like he does. God's word says he forgives us and declares us righteous for Jesus' sake and gives us eternal life, which abides in us. Some moments our faith is strong and we say amen with all our heart and we feel it. Other moments, as guilt and lingering shame afflicts our conscience and even ungodly desires tug at our hearts and seek to conquer us. We wonder whether he really forgives us at all. But only those who don't sin so horribly and so often. We see dimly God's love for us. Dimly. Not because God's word is unclear. But because we are sinners who are constantly tempted by the devil. The world and our own sinful flesh. To doubt God's word and to look for a more grown-up, a more reasonable foundation upon which we can build ourselves up and be happy and confident before God. 
God's word shines brightly. But because we're sinners who think and reason like sinners, like grown-up sinners, our life is beset with every sort of trouble and affliction. This is why God gives us his word, so that we might learn to think and reason and speak like his own beloved children who trust him. This life of labor will soon be left behind us like a dream that has passed, or like the forgotten memories of early childhood. <coughs> Christ will bring us to himself, and when he does, our foolishness and weakness and struggles of earthly life will be gone forever. We will put them aside like a man puts aside his childish ways. This is what Paul is talking about. As he also says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When Paul tells us that when he became a man, he put away childish ways, he is not telling us to put away childish ways. He's not telling us to stop speaking and thinking and reasoning like children. Taking that, taken out of context, it sounds like that's what he's saying, doesn't it? But he's really saying the exact opposite. He's telling us that we are children, and that the only way we can know God's love is to continue on as children. We can't expect to see God's love any more clearly than what God's word grants us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We dare not put away childish things until we are perfected in heaven. For now, we depend on the word of faith and the hope of glory. We depend on our childish ways of relying on God's promise despite the fact that we can't see it and despite the fact that things appear contrary. And yet with these words, St. Paul assures us that one day we will be perfected. One day we will be able to see things through clear eyes. He's giving us the encouragement that a mother gives her son who's having a hard time coping with his father's discipline. You'll understand someday, child. You don't see it clearly now, but you will. Your father loves you, and he wants what is best for you. That's why he deals with you so harshly. You'll understand when you have put away your childish ways. But for now, son, remember that you are his child, and he loves you. The child who receives this grows in respect and affection toward his father and looks forward to what will be revealed. The child who rejects this grows bitter. And even the sweetest song of love from the heart of God to poor miserable sinners sounds to him like a clanging cymbal because he lacks love. Not because there is any love lacking in his father's heart. So it is for this reason that we must teach our children and remember ourselves where the love of God is found for us. It is found in Christ his Son. As St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
but you know this love of Christ which passes knowledge by recognizing first that it passes your knowledge. It passes your understanding. You know as a child who trusts that one day he will understand. If we try to put away our childish ways right now, we'd be lost. Christ dwells in us through faith. We would grow to hate our Father in heaven if we were to put away faith before faith is no longer needed. It's still needed. If we imagined that we could already see clearly, we'd be blind. His grace and mercy would be hidden from us. But this is what people do. God chastens those whom he loves as a father chastens his son. That means he disciplines us. But people get tired of being treated like children, don't they? They demand that God be accountable for the pain and suffering that he allows in this world. They refuse to learn patiently from God, but denounce him. And they say, how can a just and loving God permit so much pain and sorrow? And so by refusing to trust that God knows what is best as a loving father, they put away their childish ways and act as though they were all grown up. Pain is bad, they say. Oh, what a revelation. No kidding. A good God wouldn't make me suffer, they say. Well, then you don't know the father's love for his son. This is as immature as saying that when I'm growing up, I'm going to stay up late and eat whatever I want. Impetuous children imagine that they see things clearly, but they don't. They become blind. They talk about what they think they understand, but they sound like clinging breaths. They become blind because they imagine they've already learned all they need about love. And they sound ridiculous because they don't listen to the word of God. The true mystery of God's love is hidden from them because they put away their childish ways before the time. And then they invent their own idea of love that has no room for suffering and the cross. But this love of theirs is a false love. Love that takes the good and refuses the bad is a love that lives for itself. It's a love that is based on self-merit, as though we were entitled to God's favor. It's a love that does not take into account the real issue that love must address, namely sin and the awful debt that we owe to our God and Maker. But God takes this debt seriously. God, who is love, reveals his answer to love's most pressing question. He reveals it in the bitter suffering of Christ, his beloved son. My dad has often quoted to us these lines from the Norwegian poet Henry Ibsen. Of what the paltering world calls love, I will not know, I cannot speak. I know but his who reigns above, and his is neither mild nor weak. Hard even unto death is this, and smiting with its awful kiss, what was the answer of God's love of old when in the olive grove, in anguish sweat, his own son lay and prayed, oh, take this cup away. Did God take then from him the cup? No child, his son must drink it up. And here we see love. It is a hard love. It is the love of the eternal father for his eternal son. It is the love of the eternal God for us. And we see this eternal love revealed where the Son bears the Father's wrath in our place, that he might not be ashamed to call us brethren, 
having become partakers of our mortal nature, a partaker of our mortal nature and a bearer of our sin, so that he might be the one mediator between God and man. It is God's wrath against our sin. Jesus suffers it because he loves us. Yea, Father, yea, most willingly. We see God's love in miserable suffering and abandonment on the cross. For Jesus teaches us to think like a child. He thinks in faith. He despises the shame for the hope that is set before him in order to make us children who think the same way. Only this love can rescue us from our sin because only this love gives an answer to sin. The answer is Christ. The answer is that Christ has borne our punishment. He who lives, lived the perfect life and pleasing life, who knew his Father with unclouded mind and saw what his Father willed with undimmed and perfect vision, this one did what his Father gave him to do. He gave his life to redeem us. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. As the hymn puts it, my song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? Jesus spoke of this love. He spoke remarkably clearly what the prophets had made plain. Jesus stated with no ambiguity, look, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. And yet his disciples understood none of these things. It was hidden from them. They didn't know what was spoken. Not even dimly. And why? Because they had a worldly view of love. Instead of love, they heard Jesus speak of hate. Instead of love, they heard of suffering and mockery. They heard death. They heard a resurrection from, the de from death, but they thought they were already alive. You don't die in order to live. And that's why it was hidden from them. They couldn't recognize love because they didn't recognize the love they needed. What the disciples needed was to know their blindness. They needed to see their need for mercy instead of judging Jesus' words by their own false understanding of how love should look. They couldn't look ahead to the third day, Jesus rising again with any sort of joy. Why? Because they refused to prepare for his resurrection by acknowledging their own need to die. This is what we need to. We need to recognize our own need to die so that we will rise. Where else will we receive the answer of a good conscience toward God than in baptism, where we are joined to his death and resurrection? St. Paul says, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This doesn't mean that faith and hope are unimportant and that love trumps them both. 
Just as the apostle doesn't tell us to put away childish ways, but instead to embrace our childish ways until we are perfected in heaven, so also St. Paul doesn't tell us to abandon faith and hope in favor of love, as liberal Christians like to do. No, but faith and hope define love, give us access to love. Paul tells us to embrace faith and hope for the sake of love. If we try to know love apart from faith in Christ, we will not know true love. We'll come up with a false love. If we aim for love apart from hope for eternal life that Christ has purchased and secured by his death and resurrection, then our quest is in vain. We'll seek indulgence now instead of rest in heaven and we'll grow bitter against God. As true it is, as it is that faith and hope are empty apart from love, so also love is meaningless and false if we lack faith and hope. Love is not accessible except by faith in God's word and by the sure hope that he will rescue us from our lovelessness. And this is what the blind man had going for him that the disciples did not. He couldn't see. His burden was his greatest advantage. He couldn't trust in what his eyes beheld because his eyes beheld darkness. And this is what the disciples and we need to behold as well. We cannot lean on our own evaluation of our situation in life. We must recognize how dimly we are truly able to see it. Instead of relying on our own understanding of love and our own ability to love, we must rely on the love that God promises us. We must rely on his word that we hear. As the prophets gave witness. That's all the blind man had. He heard that Jesus was near, who had compassion on sinners, who healed the sick. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He learned that from the Bible. He was told to be quiet, but he stuck to his childish ways and cried out all the more. And what the world regarded as some sort of temper tantrum, Jesus regarded as faith commanded him to be brought to him. And he answered his Kyrie eleison, which is, Lord, have mercy. What do you want me to do for you? Which is what Jesus always asks faith. Know what you want. I want to see, he says. And we want that too. We want to see that God loves us in the midst of our sorrow and pain. We want to see that God will lift the cloud that God will have mercy on us. We want to see that it really will work for our best. We want to see that what we have heard is true. And this is exactly what Jesus granted the blind man and what he grants us. He shows us in his own suffering the love that God has for those who suffer. He shows us in his pain and death the salvation he wins for those who are perishing. Behold in faith, God's only Son, come nigh and see what love has done to save thee from damnation. The Father lays on him thy guilt, for thee his precious blood is spilt to bless thee with salvation. He sees us in our sin, in our grumbling, our impatience, our falls into great shame and vice our failure to be kind. He sees us in our pride and arrogance and our selfish ambitions that set the needs of others aside. 
He sees us in our rejoicing over unrighteousness and our setting the truth aside. He sees us in our loveless refusal to bear anything, to believe all things, to hope all things, and to endure all things. He sees it, and he loves us. Because the love we need is not the love that we're able to accomplish. The love we need is the love that Christ has shown us. He covers our sins. He doesn't judge us. He sees us in our blind pride and gives us a glimpse of the eternal love God has for us by rendering us righteous in his sight. He restores our sight by giving us faith in his word and promising the hope of glory. Now we know in part, soon we shall know fully even as we have been fully known. For now we keep our childish ways, we trust God in faith and hope until we know even better the love that never ends. For now we embrace it by clinging to the forgiveness of our sins and find all God's love there where he absolves us and gives us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.